I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today's guest is Julio Mendez Rodrigo, a Portuguese teacher, radio broadcaster, curator, and writer. With his paper, Rebus, The Double Being. The theme of the androgyne as a universal archetype can be found not only in archaic cosmogonies, but also in literature and visual arts. The woman-man is both a sexual paradox and the main symbol of the juxtaposition of opposites. The first origin and ultimate goal of divine and human beings considered as perfect. This presentation aims to convey the recurrent way in which this archetype has manifested itself over time, highlighting androgyny as a form of primordial totality, using examples gathered from the fields of arts and literature. The union of opposites and the mystery of totality, designated by Nicholas of Cusa as coincidentia oppositorium, amounts to one of the key elements in the history of ideas, implying that the course of human existence is bounded by pairs of opposites. The awareness of this duality allows us to understand the existence of an archetypal dimension manifested in a transversal fashion across different periods and cultures. The externalization of archetypes is clear and the mythological narratives that have been systematized by such diverse areas of knowledge as, for instance, ethnography, compared history of religions and psychology. These disciplines have made clear that most divinities of vegetation and fertility are bisexual, or at least contain traces of androgynous characteristics. The alchemical quest Truly studied by Carl Gustav Jung in Psychology and Alchemy and Mysterium Conunctionis, is based on the obtaining of the Philosopher's Stone, one of whose epithets is Rebi, the double being, literally two things, or the Hermetic Undergiant. However, the, signific the significance of the Hermaphrodite's figure could not have been grasped without the contribution of anthropological studies that allowed a glimpse of the meaning of androgyny in its wider scope, its meanders having been further dis dissected by psychoanalysis. To psychoanalyze a myth is to disclose the eternal man to whom one can return, if necessary, in an attempt at a better understanding whether through the peculiarities of a certain local cult, an unusual custom, or all forgotten legend. Androgyny plays an important role in the domain of mythology since it expresses in its totality the pairs of opposites 
at the origin of all things. Greek traditions already mentioned certain beings that in the course of their existence had experienced both genders. The most widely known story is that of the fortune teller Tiresias, who, having been born a boy, became a woman, only to die a man. The blind soothsayer, endowed with a fabulous longevity, who was a woman for part of his life, stands as an example of successive androgyny. The legend of Tiresias appears to be a Greek interpretation of the fictitious androgyny of shamans. These archaic legends are also attested to by ancient poetry, in which one can credibly verify that the spirit of Hellenic culture was initially geared towards the concept of a double man or divinity, only to refrain itself in a later period, becoming limited to illusions or symbols. Androgyny would probably imply a strongly elevated state of nature and the divine. As pointed out in the first Theogonies, by divinities that conceive themselves or by the myths designated by philosophers. Androgyny was seen in classical antiquity as the symbol of a lost unity, an intuition that has lasted until the present day. For Marie Delcourt, the subject of the androgyne is a pure myth. Né de la pensée de l'homme cherchant à tâtons sa place dans le monde et projetant la représentation la plus capable à la fois de rendre compte de ses origines et symboliser quelqu'une de ses aspirations. The author adds that later cosmogonies, strictened by the dream of androgyny, attributed that feature to several other divine beings as another symbol of their perfection. Thus, she elaborates, the hermaphrodite in literature stands as an ideal rather than as an individual, bringing into the world of form what should have remained an emanation of the spirit. The hermaphrodite is present in classical art only from the 14th century onwards. However, still according to Marie Delcourt, the first studies concerning the hermaphrodite gave a disproportionate importance to iconography, the author adding that literary testimonies of the period are not considerably valuable and are very scarce in its description of authentic beliefs. On the other hand, statues are numerous, and the paintings found in Pompeii attest to the subject's popularity. Greek art does not convey the myth of the androgyne. It only carries out the synthesis of the masculine and the feminine. Still, the subject has endured in art. The pictorial representation of land of hermaphrodites can be found in the 14th century Livre des Merveilles. This myth extends across the Middle Ages, achieving a new splendor during the Renaissance. According to Elimir Zola, the flowers that represent the androgyne in art are the art seas and the lily. Art seas can be found in several pictorial works by Leonardo da Vinci and his school. Zola, elaborating on the subject of lilies, 
states that along with red or white roses, they stand as symbols of the reandrazination of the alchemical process final outcome. Wu's development slowly and gradually stems from the androgynous primordial Nigredo. The Renaissance features the androgyne in the representations of St. John the Baptist by Leonardo and his student Andrea Sayan, to name only two examples. The androgyne or alchemical ruby is usually represented as a winged being at the semblance of Sophia, thereby personifying cosmic wisdom. The organization of chaos always depends on the establishment of a binary system. The attempt to escape this dual state has been one of the main goals of philosophers, mystics and occultists alike. This quest became particularly evident in an end-of-century context, through the work of the symbolist artists affiliated to the Salon Rosecroix in the late 19th century. The Salon, founded by Saint-Josephine Pelada, included artists such as Jean Delville, Georges Min, Armand Poin, Fernand Knopf and Jean Dante. By exploring the subject, Peladin proclaimed the androgyne a plastic ideal. The Salon's artists aspired to the recreation of a form of mystical art, aiming towards the reestablishment of the role of such an art in the intellectual circles of the time. The early 20th century sees a rapport between science, psychology and sexuality, which is a characteristic of the period's cultural activity. The artistic and theoretical practices of Elisar von Kupfer and his partner, the philosopher Edward von Meyer, represent an alternative approach to sexuality and spirituality at the time. Through the metaphysical use of myth of androgyny, supported by an artistic and philosophical program that they named Clarismus. Von Kupfer and von Meyer aspired to the creation of an utopian ideal geared towards the deactivation of an overly masculine society. This aesthetic system combined the decompartmentalization of the concepts of masculine and feminine with use of religious iconography. The aim of this visual utopia was in a sexual view of human sexuality through the use of androgynous metaphysical mysticism. Within the counterculture, the 20th century witnessed the arrival of two seminal characters, Alistair Crowley and William S. Burroughs. The latter was exerted a profound influence on the British artist Janice Peorage, a key figure in the current cultural circuit, through is her role in the projects Throbbing Gristle and Psychic TV, while also developing a parallel career as a plastic artist. In 1993, Pioridge met Jacqueline Mary Breyer, and upon marrying, they created the Prandrogeny Project, a radical attempt at uniting the two in the single Pandrogenous entity through a series of plastic surgery procedures with the aim of becoming identical. However, 
their efforts didn't achieve the success they envisioned due to the premature death of Jacqueline May Breyer in 2007. The disavowal of the physical conditioning to which human beings are subjected and union of a fragmented self, exalted by this couple of artists, are documented by two films. Pandrogeny Manifesto by Aldo Lee and Dionysos Andronis and The Ballad of Janice and Lady J by Mary Lazier. We are but one was their common motto. One last example from the field of cinema is L'Hypothèse du Tableau Volé, directed by Raoul Ruiz in 1976. This film is a poetic documentary on the philosophical system created by Pierre Klosowski and is entirely based on that artist's aesthetic universe. Its central theme is the cult of the androgyne epitomized by the figure of Baphomet, the name given by the 19th century occultists to the androgynous idol supposedly worshipped by the Knights Templar. The most celebrated narrative about mankind's primeval unity and the origin of sexual differentiation can be found in Plato's Symposium, a dialogue on the subject of love. In that work, Aristophanes describes the ancient nature of humans and the changes it has gone through, detailing three spherical human types, men, woman, and the union of both androgynes, hermaphrodites. This symbol is present in Ovid's Metamorphosis, in polytheistic religions, through the element of androgynous divinities, and also in foundational texts such, such as the Bible, escorting mankind in its long march through the centuries. In Mephistopheles et l'Androgyne, ou le mystère de la totalité, the second chapters of Mircea Lieder's Mephistopheles et l'Androgyne, the author justifies his impulse for the production of that study with the reading of two seminal works in the universal literature, Faust and Serafita. The Romanian historian of religions praises Balzac's work not only for its systemization of Swedenborg's thinking, but mainly because it raises the theme of the androgyne to an unparalleled level. Eliade goes as far as considering it the last great European literary work to approach the subject as a central element. However, the theme was returned to at various times in the late 19th century and early 20th century, namely by Sir Josephin Peladin, previously mentioned in the visual arts section, in L'Androgyne, and also by the English and French decadent movements. In the literary domain and in scope of decadent aesthetics, the androgyne comes to be considered merely as a hermaphrodite being in which both genders coexist. For Mircea Eliad, this misrepresentation stems from the decadent writer's ignorance of the fact that, in classical antiquity, the hermaphrodite was meant to represent an ideal situation. In a process of permanent spiritual renewal 
through the practice of ritual. Only the ritual under Jain could act as a model, since it did not only encompass the accumulation of anatomical organs, but also symbolized the totality of magic and religious powers associated to both genders. This idea of a land of hermaphrodites was a fantasy born from the metaphysical conception of man as an androgyne. The reports of Berdaches, the androgynous shamans of North American tribes, spread in Europe by the first explorers, probably influenced Thomas Arrow's work Les Hermaphrodites. A satire on the court of Henry III, also in the 17th century, Gabriel de Foigny, a French monk, anonymously published La Terre Austral Connue, a utopian novel based upon an imagined trip to Australia, whose population lived according to a Spinozian ethic, always acting as instructed by reason, thanks to their bisexual nature. The subject has, more recently, been taken up by science fiction in the second half of the 20th century. The best example is of this is The Left Hand of Darkness, by Ursula K. Le Guin. Besides receiving literary accolades in the form of exiges by authors such as Harold Bloom, this work has inspired the discipline of gender studies, especially certain feminist tendencies that are critical of the current social model, putting forth some possible alternatives. In German Romanticism, the androgyne was idealized as the perfect man of the future. A friend of Novalis, the German scientist Ritter, laid out in his fragments from the state of a young physicist a theory of the androgyne that described the mankind he had imagined using an alchemical term, the ruby. We should also point out Franz von Wader, who paid particular attention to the subject of the androgyne, drawing from the works of Johann Richter and Jakob Bohme. The theme is inexhaustible and has been constantly addressed until the present time by authors such as Robert Musil in The Man Without Qualities and Hermanesse in Damien, among others. The rights and cosmogonical speculations of classical antiquity convey a common aspiration towards unity, a dream of regeneration and the ambition for perennity. The Hermaphrodite's figure expresses the yearning and its reflections are mirrored by Stoic philosophy, by Gnosis, by the revelations of Hermes Trimagistus by the mystical commentaries and writings of classical philosophers, by magic and by the, reaching, the teachings of alchemy. The primeval androgyne is a symbol of the union of complementary elements and of the original unity to which the world may return one day. The dream of a primal unity manifested by this image, strongly rooted in the unconscious and carrying a remarkable cosmological weight. Hermes, Poimandres, describes the Nu as the archetypal form, the beginning emanating from the infinite being, the beginning. The news is androgynous and exists as life and light, corresponding to the concept of the collective unconscious, 
also due to the fact that it includes opposites such as the ones found in creation myths. The unconscious is the primordial, as it is stated by Portuguese author Yvette Caicentiano, quoting B.C. Sproul. According to Jung, every archetype is, in its essence, a specific unknown factor. Therefore, taking multiple forms that are translated by tales, myths and symbols, in their capacity as structuring elements of the human psyche. Archetypes, as a whole, constitute the collective unconscious. Such archetypes are manifested through primordial archetypal images, found in myths, tales and religions, but also in everyday existence. In this way, a symbol becomes a living reality, a bridge between conscious and unconscious that nourishes the self. In the words of Yvette K. Centeno, who concludes her essay, O Símbolo Forma Impura, by stating that the self is enriched, enlarged, made to participate in another dimension. The other dimension, that of pure otherness, in which the self is one once and dissolved, and, on the other, is given substance and roots. The importance of symbols lies in their collective nature, one of its main characteristics being spontaneity with which that nature emerges. Jung states that no artist is able to consciously create a symbol. Intention is a sign, not a symbol. The latter, as a spontaneous manifestation, points to the unknown, the realm of the unconscious. Symbols come from a collective primordial manifestation developed in the unconscious. In this lies their timelessness. In their psychological dimension, symbols are instruments of imagination common to all mankind. Ruby, the double being. This lecture is the outcome of research carried out for the presentation O Androgeno Hermético, um ser duplo através das artes e das letras. The Hermetic Androgyne, a double being through the arts and literature at the International Lusophone Congress on Western Esotericism at the Universidade Lusófona for Humanities and Technology, Lisbon, Portugal, May 2016. The original Portuguese text was translated into English by Philip Silva. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard Julio Mendez Rodrigo present his paper, Rebus, the Double Being. For more information, please visit our publisher's website, trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net.
direction where uh, we're able to complete each other's sentences when we're alone together. We are becoming uh, telepathic to um, a level that I'm really happy with. It is certainly more than coincidence. We're very uh, in tune with each other. Fine-tuned, right? something's happening and at this point it's um, it's getting me frustrated because in the past I've been contributing some wildly different perspectives in the past now when we sit at the table um, I'm finding that I'm not uh, bringing anything more to it. We're, we're coming up with ideas and working with them. But since our, uh, our perceptions of the world are becoming so synced up, Third Mind Project has some drawbacks uh, because we're becoming so much one that we're losing um, you know, so much the third joke that the uh, one and the two are uh, losing their edge. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 